Good evening. It's great to be able to see you. It's great to be able to be with you. Let me ask you a question right now. How are you doing? We've uh, put a little bit of a poll in the Facebook feed and uh, want to encourage you as well on YouTube just to key into that as well. But we've been asking the question, how are you feeling? How are you doing in this lockdown, this third time lucky lockdown that we are in? If we ever had a difficult, challenging time to a brand new year, this is it. I mean, let's face it, we're supposed to have in our start to the year optimism, enthusiasm, we make our New Year's resolutions, we have an unrealistic set of expectations of what we can do with this year, and it's all been blown to pieces. So many of us, I mean, how many of you, I wonder, came into 2021 thinking, at last, death to 2020, now we have a brand new year, we have a brand new vaccine or two, it's all going to be great. And yet our hopes have come crashing down to the ground so fast. Unless you've got some burning ambition for a New Year's resolution that includes not going to the gym, not seeing your friends, wearing a mask, not having a life, having all your hopes and dreams suspended. If that's your New Year's resolution, you're going to smash it. But for the rest of us, it's this time where we're just reeling. And for many people, we had that poll, how are you doing? About a third of people said, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of, I'm okay. I, I can see the end in sight. But others have just said, ah, I just, it's tough, it's really hard. And I know that for some of you watching right now, you're really struggling. You don't know how you're going to get through this. And what we've got with Game Plan is we've got a preaching series, as Matt says, for the next four weeks, which I think could make a significant difference to you. I've got some good news for you. It's not easy news. It's not going to be simple to necessarily put into practice, but it is good news, and it is the kind of news that can make a massive difference to your life. And we're going to kick this series off by looking at one particular verse in the Old Testament. And that verse came from Moses who led the people. He led them out of slavery, led them from Egypt into the promised land. And they're just on the brink of the promised land. They're about to enter into it. And they know that they're going to come into the greatest period of challenge, struggle, warfare, and difficulty that they've ever experienced. Forty years earlier, the same People of Israel got to the borders of the promised land. They looked into it and they said, this is too difficult for us. These people are too strong. There's giants and we can't bring those giants down. Moses speaks to them now as they're about to have their second go at going into this time of conflict and challenge to take the land that God has given them to inherit. And he says, listen, this is what you need to hear. And this is the message that I want to give to you. Deuteronomy chapter 4, Moses says to the people, he says this, Only give heed to your soul, to yourself, and keep your soul diligently. Everyone say, keep your soul diligently. Thank you, massively underfunded and uh, understaffed studio audience. In fact, there's no studio audience. But at home, say, keep your soul diligently. Someone write this in the comments for me. And then everyone else, like it, thumbs it, care, whatever you do to it. But he says, keep your soul diligently. And then he goes on. He says, keep your soul diligently so that you do not forget the things which your eyes have seen. And they do not depart from your heart all the days of your life. 
And you'd think that when Moses is speaking to the people that he'd give them a message that says, you're going to smash it, you're going to overcome, you're going to defeat the enemy, doesn't matter, all your circumstances will be easy, God will bless you, God will make it so that you don't have to worry. But he doesn't actually address the circumstances at all. And that's the message you need to hear right now that your circumstances do not define your experience right now. That even though we have this coronavirus, we have this global pandemic, we have news that comes every day that causes us just to have mounting anxiety, that we look at the world with trepidation, we don't know what to expect or what's coming. So many of us, we feel like our agency has been taken away from us, We are subject and slave to the circumstances around us. But Moses brings this encouragement. He says, listen, the key thing is you can keep your soul. Everyone say, keep your soul. Keep your soul. You have the ability to actually determine how your soul is going to be. Some of you, you've heard the um, messages and you've seen the video from uh, Hannah and Caldwell and Shauna, and you identify with them, and you think, I just don't know how I'm going to survive and how I'm going to cope with these circumstances. But Moses says, it is immaterial what your circumstance is. It's not the defining factor what's happening in the world outside of you, no matter how difficult, challenging, and terrifying it may be. He says, actually, what I have for you is the key to you thriving is for you to keep your soul. Where's the encouragement? Here's the encouragement. The encouragement is you have the ability to look after your own soul. The soul, the part of you which is in touch with eternity, the part of you that reaches out and is able to commune with God, the part of you that defines who you truly are, not just the clothes that you wear or the bank balance that you have, but the very heart, the the, the heart that is in touch with eternity, with eternity. That soul, the thing that makes you you, the thing that allows you to experience the transcendent presence of God, Moses says you can keep it, you can watch it, you can develop it, you can strengthen it. And what we're going to do over this next few weeks in this series is we're going to work out in very clear, simple, practical ways how we, each of us, can keep our souls. I might not be able to affect the world around me. I might not be able to change the global situation to much of an extent, but I can have control over my own soul and I can experience and, and experience the presence of God, the Spirit of God. And that's why if you're not a believer, if you're not a Christian, if you're kind of watching a little bit on the outside looking in, you're peering in, you're keen to see what's going on, you just need to know what I think you already know. And that is that there's more to life than iPhones and Ikea. That man, as Jesus says, doesn't live by bread alone. It's more to life than Weetabix and skinny lattes. But there is a soul, there is a part of you, the most important part of you, the center of who you really are, what defines your core, that part that can commune with the divine. And you can actually, even right now, in the direst of circumstances, you can experience how to have a soul that thrives and a soul that flourishes. 
But here's the challenge that comes along with that. Moses says, I want you to keep yourself diligently unless you forget what God has done. We are at a crossroads here, so many of us in our faith, because our faith for many Christians is all about the kind of experience that I get in church on a Sunday. And right now, we have had month upon month after month without any real effective, regular, normative service, church Sunday service experience. We've had bits of it. We've adapted. We've pivoted. We've changed. We've done really well. But that thing that for so many of us has kind of sustained us, we don't have that anymore. And Moses says, if you don't watch your soul, if you don't keep your soul, if you don't act diligently, you are actually in danger of losing your ability to understand God's presence. You can forget what he's done for you. Let me ask you a question. How many of you right now know somebody who's close to you? Or maybe it's even you yourself and you're teaching on the edge of this. But someone who over the last few months has kind of begun to drift away from faith. Why? Because their soul was being kept by external circumstances like coming to church and going to a service and having that boost and having that energy pumped into you. But Moses says, listen, you actually have the ability to keep your own soul. And if you do not do that, you could lose. You could lose what God has given you. So we're going to learn how we can keep our souls, how we can be diligent. We're going to learn how we can flourish and thrive spiritually. And for some of you, lockdown is going to be a difficult challenging time, but it is going to give you the opportunity to develop a way of life and a practice of being that is actually going to set you up for life because you're no longer just going to be reliant on an external Sunday service. Those are massively important, but you're going to find out what it means to be able to keep your soul diligently. You can keep your soul. You can develop your spiritual life and actually you can go deeper Because if you simply rely on the circumstances of going to church or the normality of life, you'll have a superficial, shallow experience. But if we can learn, as men and women who follow Jesus, if we can learn to keep ourselves, and what does that look like? We will discover a deep well of fulfillment and spiritual vitality and life that will sustain us and impact those around us. So Moses gives out this template. He says, I want you to keep your soul diligent so that you don't forget God. And who, here's a question, who in scripture is the person that most exemplifies this? Because if you look through all the pages of scripture, there's one particular individual, one particular Bible character who embodies this more than anybody else. And I want you right now, write it in the comments. First person to write this name in the comments gets a special Metro Gold star and badge. We'll mail it to you. And the answer is, that's right, Jesus. You should know that. It's basically an obvious one. Anyone that's been around church for any length of time, if you've been to Sunday school, you know that the answer is always Jesus. No matter what the question Jesus. Anytime a preacher asks you a question, you just say Jesus. So for those of you that were going super theological and thinking Melchizedek or whatever, it's, it's Jesus. It's Jesus. 
which is really, really powerful. And when we study the life of Jesus, when we get a glimpse from those who saw him eyewitness firsthand, we see how Jesus had the ability to keep his own soul diligently. Luke is the one that gives us that kind of behind-the-scenes peek into the life of Jesus. Luke, in the fourth chapter of his gospel, he says about Jesus, he says this. He says, he went to Nazareth, Jesus went to Nazareth, where he'd been brought up, and on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. Someone write down, as was his custom. Everyone else like it in the comments. In Luke chapter 5, it talks again as Jesus moves on from there. It says this. It says, Yet the news about him spread all the more, so that crowds of people came to hear him and to be healed of their illnesses. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. The more that we look at the life of Jesus, the more that we get an idea and an image that Jesus was a man who diligently looked after his own soul, who cultivated spiritual acts and spiritual disciplines. He had a custom, he had a tradition, he had a habit of going to the synagogue on a Sabbath without fail. He had a habit that wasn't just uh, something that had been forced onto him, that he was just going through the motions, but it was his practice, his custom. And Luke records time and time again of Jesus going to solitary places, lonely places, spending the night in prayer, spending time in communion with the Father. And if you're paying attention, you'd think, well, why on earth does Jesus need to do that? I mean, surely he's the son of God. He's the divine one. And sometimes, particularly if you're outside of church, you might have the idea that Jesus just, he just hovers through his Christian life. His, uh, obviously, it's a Christian life because he's Christ. But he hovers through his devotional, spiritual life. He's just the son of God. He's always in communion with the Father. No, the Bible says it's not like that. Because Jesus actually gives us a template of what it looks like to be fully human. Jesus shows me what it's like to pursue a relationship with my Father in heaven. And as such, he developed templates, practices, devotions. Not just that of going to solitary places and solitude and silence and hours spent in prayer, but also the ones that he had as virtue of being a member of the people of Israel. The practice of Sabbath, the practice of generosity and giving, the practice of community, the practice of rhythms through the year of experiencing and drawing close and taking time aside to be in the presence of his father. He had practices. So much so that those who were closest to him said to him, Jesus, show us how you do this. That's why the disciples, again in Luke, they speak to Jesus. They say, teach us to pray because clearly you have this down. This is something that can be developed. This isn't something that's just innate. Jesus just prays because he's the son of God. No, Jesus is showing me. This is how I walk with my father. This is how I develop my discipline, my devotion. This is how I keep my soul. And the disciples say, teach us how you do this. Teach us how this stuff works. We want to get close to it. We want to understand it. We want to appreciate it. And here's the thing, and this is kind of the, the focus of this series. 
right from that very moment, from the earliest disciples onwards, people who have been serious about their faith have wanted to learn and follow in the mold and the template, the footsteps of Jesus to develop a spiritual life, to go deeper in spirituality, to keep their soul diligently, not lackadaisically, not simply, not offhandedly, but diligently, with application, with energy, with vision, with ambition, with passion. And then you see the early disciples, they follow Jesus. They find out, how does he pray? And then he teaches them, this is how you give. This is how you pray. This is how you fast. And they learn from him. And then the early church picks it up to the point where it, it kind of gets to a crescendo around about the fourth century when you have the rise of the monastic movement. You have these men and women of God who say, we want to develop our souls. We want to keep our souls. We realize that we have the ability to affect and influence how our soul develops. We want to keep our souls diligently. There were men and women that said, I don't want to have a superficial, shallow, cardboard, cut-out Christianity. I want to have a spirituality that's deep and mystical and passionate and that has facets to it and it grows and develops. I don't want to be the kind of person that just calls themselves a Christian and then never grows a single day of their spiritual life. And so the fourth century, they started to see these men and women drawing aside and coming up with ways and patterns of life. And then in the sixth century, this incredible man called Benedict, he begins an order, a a, a way of life. And what they called it was they called it a rule of life. Everyone say rule of life. Thank you. Matt Miles can't say anything without being semi-ironic about it. But rule of life is what it is. A rule of life. Now, just hear me out, because before you say, oh, we don't like rules, it's too much like religion, it's dry, it's dusty, it's dead. Actually, when they used the word rule, they were using the Latin word, the word that's often translated as a trellis. In other words, something that allows something to grow, to bear fruit, to be verdant, to be full of life. They want a rule of life because they understood that commitments are greater than goals. Commitments are better than goals. And so a rule of life was a set of commitments to intentional spiritual practices. And that is what this series is all about. For the next, uh, well, right through to the end of January, we're going to look at different ways in which we can develop and keep our souls diligently. And we're creating a little bit of a rule of life for ourselves. A rule of life that we can take, that we can adapt, that we can adopt. A rule of life that we can say, this is how I'm going to do things. It's going to be individual and personal to you. No one's going to force you to do it. But this gives us the opportunity to actually go deep in our faith. And here's the spoiler alert. It's possible that you could end up having a better, more fruitful, more rewarding relationship with Jesus right now, despite the circumstances. Because we have to do this unless we lose God, lose faith, and forget him entirely. 
And so we've got our rule of life, and what we're doing is we're calling it the game plan. And because I went to Sunday school, as I said earlier, game is actually an acrostic. It stands for something. It's very super complex, but I hope that you'll follow me. It gets a little bit scarily theological, but this is what game plan stands for. You ready? Here we go. It's God and me exercises. God and me exercises. And all we're going to do is we're going to look at two things. We're going to look at commitments and keys. We're going to take commitment to a spiritual path, a spiritual discipline, a devotional practice. We're not going to do everything, but we're just going to invite you over the next three weeks to take two or three things, and you're going to begin to commit yourself to them. Because commitments are better than goals. Commitment says, this is what I am going to do, come rain, come shine, a bit at a time. Goals, you can easily lose them. They can just fall off your radar. But commitments is a kind of steady, steady as she goes, steady walk, step by step, path towards becoming something greater than you already are. But here's the thing, and I know that some of you, you're, you're kind of, your faces are dropping a little bit at this, because I do know what you're thinking. I, I, I'm realistic about this. You're thinking, oh, Philip, okay, we get it. You're going to tell us to read our Bibles. You're going to tell us to pray. You're going to tell us to uh, be mentored and mentor others. We know this stuff. We've heard this stuff. And the reason that you find it difficult is that so many of us, we've done these things and we have not succeeded. And so there's a part of you that kind of likes it and it's got a little bit excited, but you've got that voice in the back of your head saying, yeah, but I tried this. Yeah, but it never really works out for me. Yeah, it's like the goals that I set at the beginning of the year. But what we're going to do together, and this is what's going to make the difference, and so this is why I want you to stick with me, is that we're not just going to focus on commitments. So a commitment to fasting or a commitment to prayer, a commitment to silence and solitude or a commitment to accountability, a commitment to radical generosity and sacrifice. We're not just going to do the commitments. This is what makes a difference. We're going to address the keys. Everyone say keys. Someone write it in the comments. Everyone else like that thing until you can like it no longer. Because the thing that you've been missing before is a key. And that's what made these men and women who joined the monastic movement in ages past, that's what made them succeed. They didn't just have a commitment to solitude or a commitment to simplicity or a commitment to serving the poor. They had keys that make it work for them. They didn't just commit themselves to a life of prayer, but at dawn they would have the matins bell ring and that key would trigger a simple action that would make them work together. They had keys like they would work together, live together, be in community together, have rhythms and practices of life. So it wasn't just people gritting their teeth and doing their best to be good and be godly. No, it was a few simple keys. For example, let me give you one key that makes all the difference in my life. It might not be the same for you. 
But this is the thing that makes more difference than any other thing in my life for my spiritual well-being and for the, the, the development of my soul. And that's what I call the rule of first focus. In other words, the first thing that I do when I wake up in the morning will have a massive impact on my spiritual life. I notice that if I want to have a commitment to prayer, if I want to have a commitment to a a daily routine of practicing the presence of God and being in a, a place where Jesus can speak to me and I can speak to him, if I get up and I flip open my laptop and I go onto the news, I have a worse experience of it. But if I get up and my first focus is to go and open up scripture It has a radical difference. It's a key. It's a key that unlocks my commitment, that makes it work, that makes it happen. And you can find different keys. So for some of you, you you have this idea, I really want to pray, I want to get up, I want to pray. But I'm telling you, the first thing that you do when you wake up in the morning, you flip onto social media. And before you know it, you've fallen into the trap of the attention economy and it's got its hooks in you and your brain is not right ready. But for me, I get up, I have an alarm, that's another key. We're going to look at these very practically in our hubs over the next few weeks. But I I have an alarm, it it wakes me up, I go downstairs, I make a drink, a cup of tea for myself and a cup of tea for Mrs. Gennardi. I bring it to her in bed, and then I go downstairs and I flip open my Bible app and I have David Suchet read the Bible to me, and it sets me up. There's keys. There's keys for giving and generosity. My key, again, it's just having a standing order and giving to church. Somehow it unlocks a lifestyle of generosity and giving. And I could say the same about a whole bunch of other things. But this really is just to whet our appetites. What we're going to be doing is we're going to be looking together in our hubs on Zoom. We're going to get really practical about this. Sam's putting together some notes. We're going to give you some ways in which you can engage with this. If you're not in a hub, then you can get hold of the um, resources and the uh, different ideas. You can get hold of them from the website. And just go to our our woodlandsmetro.church website. Look at this message. You can begin to download them. But I'm telling you this. It will make a difference. And again, for those of us that say, yeah, but I've tried this before. Or for those of us that say, I don't like these kinds of series. I want the series where you talk about sex and relationships and how to do life. And when you tell me stuff I didn't know about the Bible before. I, I like those series. Yeah, sure, I get it. And we will do those Uh, as we go through the term. But I'm telling you this, if Jesus, the Son of God, needed to keep attention to his soul, if he needed to build into his life customs and habits and practices and disciplines, if Jesus needed to make a practice of solitary prayer and give it time, if he had to apply himself in such a way that he could teach it to others and give them keys like the Lord's Prayer, if Jesus needed it, then I need it too, and you need it too. And we can actually see something happen. 
Can you imagine if we had a church, if we as a community of people, actually in the context of lockdown and challenge and suffering, could you imagine if we actually grew individually because we had a community of people who were keeping hold of their souls, who were watching over their own spiritual development diligently? We could see God do some amazing things. In fact, when, and let's end with this, but when Moses speaks to the people, This is the full text of what he says. Let's read Matthew, uh, Deuteronomy 4. It says, Only give heed to yourself and keep your soul diligently so that you do not forget the things which your eyes have seen and they do not depart from your heart all the days of your life. And here it comes. But make them known to your sons, to your grandsons. I have a vision that we could be a church that actually learn to thrive. That we're not a group of people that just have a superficial, flaky, fly-by-the-seat-of-your-pants faith. But we have a deep-rooted, mystical, vibrant, passionate, wise and profound spirituality, which has been heart-fought. But we've done it through a series of commitments. We've unlocked a few simple keys that have enabled us to grow and to develop and become more like Christ. And I have a vision that we would be those people who not just have it for ourselves, but begin to pass it on to those around us. That our city would be impacted, that our friendships would be affected, that our workplaces would be transformed. Because people are saying to us, as they said to Jesus, show us how you pray. Show us what the keys are. Is it that you're just super spiritual? You're just born like that and you say, no. I've learned how to keep my soul diligently. And I've developed a practice of intentional spiritual disciplines. I've made commitments that I am seeking to keep through the ups and through the downs. And I've begun to learn about myself the keys that will make this work practically in my life. And we can see the kind of spirituality that gets the attention of those around us. So this is our big idea. A rule of life is a set of commitments to intentional spiritual practices. Establishing key habits will make this work in practice so that we keep our souls diligently. Let's pray. Dear God, I want to pray that you would help us. I want to pray, dear Father, for all of us that are struggling right now. Lord, I know that I am. Lord, I find it difficult and I find it challenging and I just sometimes don't know how I'm going to make it through. But I know that you have us in your hands and that you're bigger than anything that we face. And I thank you that you said that we can actually take control over our own spiritual thriving and flourishing. And I want to pray that we would be a community of people that keep ourselves diligent, that we learn how to have a rule of life, that we have God and the exercises. And I want to pray, dear Father, that over these next few weeks, as we look practically and in detail with hard-fought wisdom, I pray that you would use it to transform our lives and build into our hearts a foundation that will set us up for life. In Jesus' name I pray.